Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. So, uh, as usual, let's have a brief word of prayer. Father, here we are again in your wonderful presence. And Lord, we uh, just come with always a conscious need of you. Thank you for the sense of the Holy Spirit overshadowing our hearts tonight. And we pray now, Lord, as we uh, look into your precious word, uh, as we gather here as the church, may we have a greater sense of what it means to be the church after our session tonight. Bless your word to our hearts in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Is this ringing a bit or is it just... Okay, testing. Now, how many have not been here for the sessions that we've been having over the last several Sunday nights? Most everybody. If you haven't, uh, we'd like to encourage you to pick up the tape on the way out. And as everybody tells me always, we like your tapes better than you, Kevin, because we can turn you off. So I always thank them for that tremendous word of encouragement. All right, now, what we want to do tonight, as you look at the uh, outline that I've given you, we are going to try and cover... Uh, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Five chapters out of uh, a wonderful textbook by a close friend of mine called Restoration Theology. Rush for your copy after this service. You probably heard about the uh, farmer. He went to the chapel on Sunday morning, and when he got there, the minister was there, and he was the only one that turned up for the service that morning. So the minister said to the farmer, well, what do you think we ought to do? There's just you and me. And the farmer said, well, if we, uh, you know, I'm a farmer, if only one cow turns up, I always feed the old cow. So the minister went up to the pulpit. He sang a hymn, had a prayer, and then preached his sermon, went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, right through to the book of Revelation. And then after that, he took up an offertory and then prayed a prayer of dedicatory and closed the service. Came down from the pulpit and waited at the door to shake hands with the lone farmer. So he said, the farmer, how'd I go? He said, well, if I only have one old cow come to the field, I don't give him the whole haystack. (laughs) So I said all that to say, are you ready for your haystack tonight? That's what it's going to be. All right, now, let's just a uh, very brief review. First of all, I've just been uh, looking at what we've covered in the last number of sessions. On our first session, we covered the eight hours of restoration. And then in the second session, we did the definition of restoration and particularly uh, emphasized on what the prophets say, how relevant they are for our time. And then in our third session, we dealt more fully with uh, the things that are not to be restored and things that are to be restored. Uh, In our fourth session, we looked at the first principle of restoration in creation and then saw how it was applicable also to man. Last session, last week, we dealt with the uh, restoration of Israel to God through Christ. And tonight, as you've got on your notes there, we want to talk about renewing our vision of Christ church. Now, I want to be very honest with you tonight, as I've been trying to be in these sessions here. Um, in Bible college, we shared a bit on this, really. Uh, I have felt for the last number of years, more particularly, uh, just that uh, somehow we need to reclaim this word church and uh, sort of just revisit the whole word. And I personally believe, and I, I, I hope after our session tonight that you'll feel the same way, I personally believe that we've been robbed of the, uh, just the rich meaning of the word church, what it really means, and uh, what it is not what it is, and just the whole richness of this truth. So in the course of our time uh, together, I want, to, I want us to look at what the church is not, remind ourselves of that, then what the church is, and, uh, you know, when we really understand church, uh, I believe we have the greatest calling uh, to belong to the greatest thing in the universe. 
the church is the body of Christ. That's worth a little amen. How many can say amen? Now, in the outline that we're going to cover in our haystack together tonight, first of all, I've got on my notes here, A, we're going to briefly look at a parable of the kingdom. B, we're going to look at Christ's vision of the church. And then C, I've got on my, the fivefold purpose of the church's existence. And then uh, D, I want to look at the church and the faith and the truths. We'll explain that as we get through. All right, now, I want you to turn over to, um, uh, let's see, uh, Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. So we'll try, and as usual, be pretty systematic. Mark, Chapter 4. Mark, Chapter 4, and I want to uh, read verses 26 to 29. Right, Mark 4, 26 to 29, and I'm reading from uh, New AV. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by day and rise by night, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crop, crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, or old King James, then the ear. After that, the full grain, or the full corn in the head or in the ear. But when the, when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now let's just take a very brief moment on this. I've spelt this out a little bit more fully on the first section here on the parable of the kingdom. So the kingdom parable, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is as if a man, so we would liken the man here in this case to the Lord Jesus Christ, should scatter seed on the ground. So a soul went forth to sow the seed, and he spoke of the seed being the word. So scattering the seed on the ground, all types of ground. And uh, after he cast the seed, he knew there was enough life in the seed uh, for the seed to just develop and all the potential that was in it. So he should sleep by night and day. Seed should sp uh, sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know how because there's that mystery of life in the seed of the word. Then in verse 28, uh, Jesus sort of breaks up uh, like a three-fold stage or three stages of the kingdom seed. So the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade. Everybody say first the blade. First the blade. First the blade. Then the ear, everybody say then the ear. And then the third uh, stage of it is the full corn. Everybody say full corn. So here we have kingdom seed. And within the seed is all the potential of that mystery of life. And as the hidden mystery of life begins to manifest itself, we have first the blade. Now just going through your notes here. First the blade, it speaks of the beginning, the source, the foundation. As soon as the seed's been sown and that mystery of life, that potential that's in the seed begins to grow, you see first of all the blade. The blade is the beginning, the source, the foundation. It's the first evidence where life has begun. Then the ear, the second stage, is the mystery of life. So we have development here of the hidden fruit. And then the third stage of the uh, kingdom seed is the full manifestation, full uh, potential there. Now, when it comes to the revelation of the church and the kingdom, as we're going to see tonight a little bit on that, first of all, we have the gospel, and particularly the gospel of Matthew. That's the blade. Then the ear we see in the book of Acts. And then the full corn or the full revelation of what the church is in the mind of God is found in the epistles. Now I want you to turn over the Gospel of Matthew here and uh, look at two passages of Scripture here. So just start using this as our base, the three stages. First the blade, revelation of the church in the Gospel of Matthew. And then the ear, the revelation of the church in the book of Acts. And then uh, the full corn in the year, the full manifestation, revelation of the church in the epistles. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 here, and also Matthew 18. And I'd like to read the passages of Scripture here first of all, then we'll pick up the main thoughts as we uh, move on. All right, Matthew chapter 16, and uh, picking up in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
So as I said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, you've said something to me, I'm going to also say something to you, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you, give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now let's go across to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, and uh, basically the same uh, number of verses here, verse uh, 15 through to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church... Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you that what, what, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Pray the Lord will bless that word to our hearts. Now, let's just pick up some very important things here. When it comes to the revelation of the church, as I said in our first using the kingdom parable here, we have uh, like a threefold or three stages of the revelation of the church. First of all, we have the blade, which we're going to look at in the Gospel of Matthew tonight. Then in the book of Acts, we have the ear as the church is being built and developing. And then the full revelation of the church is given to, particularly to the Apostle Paul in the epistles. Now, you know these things, but I want to remind you of it because, as I said at the start here, I, over the last number of years, I've felt uh, more, more, you know, felt more about this, the burden of the thing, that we've been so robbed of the meaning of the word church and what church is really all about, and that I feel we need to reclaim the word and just rediscover the meaning of the word and just reclaim the richness of it, because we are gathered here tonight as uh, as the church, how I many can say amen? Not the total church, but the church, the body of Christ. And what does that mean? Now, just to remind you of a couple of things here. First of all, the, the church is not, and you can add this on your notes somewhere, the church is not a material building. We all know that, but it's one of the hardest habits to break. I have to talk to my wife, my beautiful wife. We're not going to the church, we're going to the sheep shed. And all the sheep said, Amen. <laughs> Have you forgotten that? All the sheep said, Amen. So this, this building is not the church. So in the book of Acts, you know, if the church was a building, Herod persecuted the church. Did he persecute a building? They vexed the church at Jerusalem. They were vexing a building. Now we know these things, but how many think it would be wonderful if in Waverley Christian Fellowship we could break that tradition? and say the church is going to the sheep shed or we're going to the building. This is not the church. This is a material building. Everybody can say amen to that. But because, you see, this word has so been robbed and the, and the meaning of it, we've got, you know, the Methodist Church, United Church, Presbyterian Church, Catholic Church, Calathumpian Church, Pentecostal Churches, Heinz's 57 Fridays. You know, we've got this stamped on buildings. Well, everybody thinks that's the church. If we could just get rid of that word on our buildings would be wonderful. It would be a miracle. <laughs> Do you think we could start here? Thank you for the underwhelming response again. But you know these things. The church is not a denomination. We need to remind ourselves of that. A lot of people are in a denomination and are not in the church. And there are many people in denominations are in a church, but the church is not a denomination. If the Apostle Paul and Peter and them come along today and they say, I'm looking for the church, wow, oh, wouldn't they be in total confusion? Say, oh, that's not what we thought it was. 
I don't remember Jesus telling us anything about this. And then it's not a para-church organization. Para-church organization. Much could be said about that. And uh, one other thing I had here to remind you, it's not an extension of Judaism, which is simply the Jews' religion. Sometimes people say, well, the church is an extension of the Jews' religion. Now we know that. Now, before we just move on to section B here, it's worthy to note that the word church is only used three times in the Gospels. It's never used in Mark, it's never used in Luke, and it's never used in John. The only Gospel that mentions the church is the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Gospel of the Kingdom. So think of that. So the word church is only used three times in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church. Matthew 18, tell it to the church if he neglects to hear the church. So only in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Gospel of the Kingdom. Then it takes on greater use in the book of Acts, as you'll see in your notes there, and then later on in the epistles. So look at your notes here. So the word church is used three times in the Gospel of Matthew. Word church uh, is used 24 times in the book of Acts. Uh, three times translated as assembly, but the same Greek word. Word church is used 88 times in the, uh, in the uh, epistles, particularly the church epistles, uh, major by Paul. Then the word kingdom, so you'll notice the connection here, though we won't be able to develop that too much, but upon this rock I'll build my church and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say upon this rock I'll build my kingdom and give you the keys of the church. I'm glad for that. Upon this rock I'll build my church, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And the word kingdom is used some 131 times in the Gospels. Then the word kingdom is used nine times in the book of Acts. And then the word kingdom is used some uh, 29 times in the epistles and also including uh, the apocalypse. All right, so the word church. Now, if ever you can get hold of William Barclay's uh, uh, little book on New Testament word studies, uh, of all the studies I've done over the years, I think uh, William Barclay probably has the best material on it. And he goes through the fact that, uh, that the word church uh, has, uh, first of all, a Hebrew background. And the whole thought of the Hebrew background, most of the times it's translated in the Old Testament, congregation, NIV translates it congregation a lot. I can't pronounce the Hebrew word, but it's sort of like something, Qahal, Q-A-H-A-L. So Israel, Acts, Acts 738, why don't you put that down, Acts 738. Israel is spoken of as the church in the wilderness. The congregation, the church in the wilderness. So Israel, so what would happen in the Old Testament when God wanted to bring Israel together, regardless of what tribe they belonged to, whether it was the tribe of Reuben, or the tribe of Simeon, or the tribe of Gad, some people still belong to that tribe, they're always gadding about, but um, regardless of whatever tribe they belonged to, when the trumpet would blow, then that was the sound for the the church in the wilderness, the congregation to gather together. So the kwahal, something like that. So they would come out of their tents in response to the trumpet and they would gather to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they would listen to God to act for God. That's the whole thought. Now, when we come to the New Testament, and the New Testament with its Greek background, and as I said, uh, William Barclay probably has the best, it's the same thought, and many times uh, preachers, most of us preachers sort of limit and say, well, okay, the Greek word ekklesia, or ecclesia as it's variously pronounced, ek, uh, ek is out of, and kaleo is to call out of, and so many times all we've heard the definition of the word church is, okay, the church is just a called out company, has called out of the world uh, to serve Christ. Okay, that's only partly the call. Listen to what it really means. The full meaning of the word is uh, ecclesia or ecclesia, I will build my church, ecclesia, is actually that they are called out of the world and they gather together to listen to and act for God. Let me read off Barclay on this. 
F.J.A. Hoard, he quotes, rightly points out that originally the word does not mean, as is so often stated, a body of people who have been picked out from the world. It has not, the, uh, has not in it that exclusive sense. It means a body of people who have been summoned out of their homes to come and to meet with God. And both in its original Greek and Hebrew usages, that sense was not exclusive but inclusive. The summons was not to any selected few. It was a summons from the state to every man to come and shoulder his responsibility. Responsibilities. It was a summons from God to every man to come and to listen to and to act on the Word of God. Then he's uh, probably the most pungent statement is, in essence, therefore, the church, the ecclesia, is a body of people not so much assembling because they have chosen to come together, but assembling because God has called them to himself. Not so much assembling to share their own thoughts and opinions, but assembling to listen to God and act on his voice. Let me read that again. Because, I, I, I mean, my own conviction is this, that if even we in Waverly Christian Fellowship could get a greater sense of what this word church means... We might just play church, pardon me, a little bit different. Let me say it again. So in a sense, therefore, the church, the ecclesia, is a body of people, not so much assembling because they have chosen to come together, but assembling because God has called them to himself, not so much assembling to share their own thoughts and opinions, but assembling to listen to the voice of God and act on God's word. How many think that's powerful? So, you know, when I just saw this a few years ago myself, gave me a greater sense of church. Not the building, not an organization, not a denomination, not an undenominational denomination, not a non-sectarian sect or a sectarian sect. But Sunday morning or whenever we gather together, whatever, we hear the trumpet voice of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. I was in the Spirit and the Lord said, I heard the voice of trumpet, calling us to gather out of our homes as we gather out of the world and assemble together to listen to and act for God. How many say, say, wow, that gives me a greater sense of church. So here we're tonight, we're not playing church. We are the church. And we're here, we've assembled out of all our different homes and out of the world, we've been called out of, but not only called out of, but we are, have assembled together to listen to God and act for God. How many can say amen to that? So just to get, you know, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just sort of burn the word into your hearts more as he has into my heart over the last number of years. Yes, Lord, I'm part of the church. I'm part of the eternal purpose of God. And I come out of my home and I assemble together with the people of God to listen to God and act for God. How many can say a hearty amen to that? That's it. So wouldn't it be great if we could do that here? I asked you a question. <clears throat> Am I talking to myself? Okay. Yeah. Excellent material in Barclays thing on that. All right. Now, hopefully, I've just reconfirmed to your hearts what the church is not, what the church is. Now, in, uh, in section B here, we're going to look at Christ's vision of the church. And in the sections I've got here, first of all, in the gospel, we have the promise of the church. It was like, like a promise and a prophecy, I'm going to build my church. Then in the book of Acts, we have the power of the church, the early church. And then in the epistles, we have the purpose of the church. So promise of the church in the gospels, power of the church in the book of Acts, purpose of the church in the church epistles. Church is people. Church is people, as I said, gathering out of their homes, coming together to listen to and act for God. God, what do you want to say to us tonight? What do you want us to do for you? We are the church, people of God. Now, as I've studied these passages over the years, which you know most of us are so familiar with in, the more I've prayed about and studied it and thought about it and meditated on it, I say, Lord, you know, what, what is this? So what I found, and I'll put this on your notes here, I'm I, I going to give you 10 things tonight which are going to be on the PowerPoint, 10 things about the church, and each of these, and I'm just going to give you the outline, each of these are what I call seed words of Christ. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed, I believe Christ gave us what I call 10 seed words here, 
and the seed that's in the gospel is watered by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, then in the epistles, and so we just see that whole uh, revelation of the church. All right, so just ten simple things here. Number one, the first thing about the church that Jesus said, and it's all from those two passages I read you, foundation passages, and everything in the book of Acts and everything in the epistles is actually... Uh, arises out of what was uh, in these foundation, these seed words. So number one, it would be a church that he would build. Psalm 127 verse 1, just one verse here. Psalm 127 verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So he's got to be the builder. When I was a senior minister a number of years ago, that was the bottom line. Lord, you've got to build the church. It's your church. You're the builder, not me. So except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so many people are trying to build the church or build a kingdom for themselves. Say, Lord, you're the builder. How many can say amen to that? He's the builder. He said, I'm going to build the church. All right, number two, it would be a church that would be his church. His church. It's not my church. And I hear this so often, well, this is my church. This is my church, I hear. Some minutes say, this is my church. Nobody's going to touch my church. If you don't like, get out of my church. Say, hey, it's his church. Because, you know, my traveling a little bit, I see churches rise and fall and say, hey, what are you doing? It's his church. I'd like to belong to his church, wouldn't you? Number three, and as I said, these are all seed words, and if we had time to water them, we'd grow a tree out of it. All right, number three, it would be a church built on a rock foundation. Upon this rock, I will build my church, the rock foundation. And uh, let me just say this real quickly here on this one. We, so I so said we haven't got time to develop these points at all. But on a rock foundation, you see, there's a great denomination. You notice the word I use. I didn't say a church. Great denomination today says, okay, the church is built upon Peter. Now, what's happening here, just very quickly on this, uh, Jesus just come out of the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and uh, he asked the disciples, well, what do men's uh, people say about me? And uh, how many have got E.W. Kenyon's little book on two kinds of knowledge? If you can get it, it's a little gold mine. And Kenyon speaks that there's two kinds of knowledge. There's what he says uh, is sense knowledge. Knowledge that comes to us through our five senses of hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, seeing, so forth. Uh, Some have a sixth sense, which is nonsense, but basically the five senses. So all sense knowledge could say, oh, well, it must be John the Baptist who's been beheaded. It must be Elijah who's translated and now disappeared, or maybe it's Jeremiah who never did finish his ministry with the throne in Judah, so, or he could be just one of the prophets, who knows? That's all sense now. You couldn't say, uh, you know, you couldn't say to people in that day now, uh, when you go to the crowd there, if you're looking for Jesus, he's got a halo around his head, he's got a Jesus is Lord t-shirt, or Jesus saves badge on his lapel. There was nothing about that, none of all these silly, sentimental, sloppy pictures we see of Jesus today as the first hippie and long hair and all that stuff. Thank you, Kevin, for that very interesting thought. It had to come by what Kenyon calls revelation knowledge. Not sense knowledge, revelation knowledge. So Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And dear old Peter, always the spokesman here, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Because in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to put it down, Matthew 11, and um, verse 26 and 27... Jesus said, even so, Father, or verse 25 to 27, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hid these things from the wise and prudent, and you've revealed them to babes. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son will reveal him. So it takes revelation. So as Kenyon says, it's not sense knowledge, it's revelation knowledge. And, you know, in all our witnessing to people, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to reveal to the heart who Christ is. You know, we can thump the pulpit, run up and down, or do anything like that and try, but God has to reveal Christ to the heart. And so Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Budge, and flesh and blood, the senses have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. How many are glad that God the Father has revealed Jesus Christ to your heart? 
and that you can really say tonight, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It has to come by revelation. Otherwise, you can try and get into the head. It's got to come to the heart. So, Jesus then said, upon this rock, you, you, I say also to you, you've said something to me, I say something to you, you are Peter, but upon this rock. Now, the tragedy is, a great denomination has looked at the wrong man. He didn't say, upon this rock, Peter, but upon this rock himself. See, the church is not built upon Peter because if it was, I haven't got time to develop this, but in the next few verses, Jesus starts to show the disciples about going to the cross where the, where the church was going to come to birth. And, uh, you know, Peter, as I've said before, Peter just took Jesus and began to rebuke him. I rebuke you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You, you, you're not going to any cross. If you go to the cross, what about me? Where do I fit in? What about the keys of the kingdom you promised me? I rebuke you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come out. <laughs> and, you know, there's none of that. So, you know, if the church is built upon Peter, no, the church is built upon the one Peter confessed. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they got their eyes on the wrong man. It's upon Christ, built on the rock foundation. Peter is a rock, a stone, like you and I are lively stones, but Jesus is the rock. How many are glad of that? All right, number four. Next seed word that Jesus spoke was, it would be a church that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. That sounds like a... Doesn't it to you? Gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And when we think of the biblical revelation of the gates and how the enemy would come and to break into a city, how they had to break through the gates and then burst in the city, all right, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Uh, it's going to be a victorious church. Number five, another seed word that Jesus gave was it would be a church having the keys of the kingdom. And we can only ask the questions without answering too much. It was specifically given to Peter. You were Peter upon this rock, I'll, give, I'll build my church and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We asked the question, did Peter get those keys? What were the keys? The answer, he did get them. Where did he use them? Go to the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 2, the first use of the word church, is after Peter used those keys and 3,000, 5,000 multitudes of men and women were added to the church. So, keys of the kingdom. Four of them in the book of Acts. All right, number six. It would be a church that would have a binding ministry. Both those passages there. Chapter 16, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus uses those expressions. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And uh, number seven, linking it up here, it would be a church having a loosing ministry. Whatever you loose on, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In fact, the Amplified New Testament actually puts it this way. Whatever has already been bound in heaven will be bound in earth. And whatever has already been loosed in heaven will be loosed in earth. So binding, loosing ministry, only one illustration we can refer to here. How many remember when Lazarus uh, was buried and in those days, they would bind up the body. And when Jesus uh, called Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus came up from the underworld, entered his body, resurrected body, and came out, he came out bound, hand and foot. And what did Jesus say? Loose him. Resurrected, but bound, like a lot of Christians, but need to be loosed. And it takes quite a while to loose some people. Not here. <laughs> Much could be said on that. I think there are some things that need to be bound and some things that need to be loosed. Number eight, it would be a church having heaven and earth connections. In both cases, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in uh, heaven. So heaven and earth connection, because the issue is earth is dependent on heaven. And if heaven doesn't work with the church on earth, nothing's going to happen. All power is given unto me in heaven, but not in earth. Is that what Jesus said? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. On that basis, therefore, go forth. So heaven and earth. And 
We're told in Mark 16, verse 15 to 20, how Jesus ascended to heaven, sat at the Father's right hand, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel, the Lord confirming the word with signs following. So heaven and earth working together with the church. Head of the church is in heaven. The church's body is in earth. And so heaven and earth, there has to be a connection. And uh, how many know that the hotline to glory is still prayer? The only connection between the church on earth and the head in heaven is prayer. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Number nine, it would be a church that would have a disciplinary ministry. Matthew chapter 16, for those who are quick note, note takers, is dealing with the church universal. Upon this rock I will build my church, not churches, my church. Matthew 18, he's dealing with church local. Because if there's uh, conflict between brother and sister, go one-on-one, -on -one, try to be reconciled. If there's no reconciliation, take two or three. If there's no reconciliation, and I, I, I've only seen this one or two times in my life, just think of the power of, of the church and what we mean by the church, that if there's offense, uh, unresolved conflict between a brother and sister or brother and brother or sister and sister, whatever the case, and think what it would be even in marriage situations, you try to effect reconciliation, no response. And then you say, well, take two or three witnesses. Say, look, I just beg you to, to resolve this conflict. Get rid of the bitterness and resentment. Resolve this conflict. Well, we're not going to do it. No one's going to tell us what to do. Okay? Let's tell it to the church. And could you imagine, I mean, if we really did it the Bible way, could you imagine being in the church and the church member by member says, brother, sister, why don't you humble yourself? Why don't you get reconciled? Why don't you make peace with each other? Please, please. Well, we're not going to do it. And you see, as J.E. Adams brings out, the person is excommunicated here in a disciplinary measure, not for the original fence between brother and brother or sister and sister, whatever the case may be, and not because they wouldn't listen to two or three others, but if they neglect to hear the church. How many see the church could have power if we could just do it the Bible way. And so, as J. Adams says, they're not excommunicated for the original offense, but because they neglect to hear the church. I've only been in two or three cases in my life where we've actually done that. Wow, what's frightening. That's just if we understood church a bit more. How many feel you sort of understand a little bit clearer? Having power. So, Matthew 18 is the church local. Tell it to the church. Uh, you couldn't tell it to the church universal. Otherwise, all of you would be writing letters <laughs> for the rest of your life all over the world. It's a local church problem. And then number 10, it would be a church having Christ in the midst where two or three are drawn together. Amplified says where two or three are drawn together, harmonized, make a symphony. They're gathered together in my name. There I am. And it's the I am of the burning bush, there I am. Wow, wouldn't it be just great to have that constant sense of the presence of Christ? And you know that simple expression, in the midst, it's right in the middle of them. How many believe that Jesus is right in the middle of us here tonight? He is. And as I said, this is not a sermon, this is truth. If, our, if the veil was taken off our eyes, we'd all be flat on our face, including myself because Jesus is in the midst. And if we could just have a greater consciousness of the presence of Jesus as we gather together. Jesus, we're gathered together. We've been called out of our homes. We're assembled together to listen to God and act for God. And you're right in the midst of us. What do you got to say to us, Lord? I'm all ears. Amen? That's the picture. Turn over to the next page. All right, as I said, these are just seed words. And there's nothing in the book of Acts or in the epistles that is not found in the seed words of Christ because the Holy Spirit waters the seed word of the kingdom, first the blade and the gospels, then the ear in the book of Acts, then the full corn in the epistles. All right, now, just very briefly here, section C I've got on my notes. Uh, the fivefold purpose of the church's existence, fivefold purpose of the church's existence. Uh, many of you will remember 
a little logo we used on this a number of years ago, so without uh, amplification, only on one of them. Number one, our ministry to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord. Number two, ministry to the saints. Ministry to the saints. Number three, ministry to the lost, to sinners, unchurched. Uh, for those three, those three you could put, uh, try to get a bit of a, a alliteration here. Ministry of the Lord is worship. Ministry of the saints is fellowship. Ministry to the world, or the lost, discipleship. So three ships there. Ministry of the Lord, worship. Ministry of the saints, fellowship. Ministry to the lost or to the world, uh, discipleship. Number four, Ministering of conquering Satan and his hosts. The gates of hell will not prevail. We're in spiritual warfare, and I tried to get another ship on this, so I put it warship. <laughs> uh, I mean, after all, the church is a battleship. <laughs> it's not a cruiser. <laughs> We're not going for a cruise. This is a battleship. We're soldiers. We're in, uh, we're in the army of the Lord. We're in war, so I try to keep the warship there. Begins with worship and closes with worship. I guess the better our worship, the better our fellowship, the better our discipleship, the better our worship. And then number five, this is the one I want to spend a bit of time on here. Ministry and guardian of, fill in here, the truth. I'll explain that in a moment, the truth. Or, a little bit more fully here, the faith once delivered to the saints. I'll say that again. So number five. So fivefold purpose of the church's existence. What is it? Ministry of the Lord, worship, ministry of the saints, fellowship, ministry to the lost, discipleship, ministry of conquering, conquering Satan and his host, worship. Okay. And then number five, ministry and guardian of the truth or the faith once delivered the saints. And I had to get another ship in there. So what do you think I put? Guardianship. So that's five ships there. Guardianship. Now I want you to turn over to our final section here on section, I've got D on my notes. I want you to turn over to Jude, the epistle of Jude. Jude. Everybody doing okay? All right, Jude, Jude verse 3. There's, there's an expression here, and what I, I, I hope you get my thought here. I've used two terms, and I'll explain it here in a moment. But uh, let's read Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Everybody say, the faith. To contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So contending for the faith. Now, I want to pick up number five because next week we have a very important uh, session on what happens to the church, particularly on this area here. Uh, on your notes there, I've got the church and the faith and the truths. Now, I'll just have to say a lot of this here. In the uh, New Testament, this expression of the faith, I mean, the word faith is used like, of the, the fruit of faith and the gift of faith. And faith is used in various aspects that I can't go into tonight. But when it comes to this expression, the faith, let me just quote some scriptures here. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts 6, verse 7. A great company of priests became obedient to the faith. The faith. Acts 14, 22. Acts 14, 22, you might be able to put these down at the bottom of your sheets under comments. Uh, the disciples must continue in the faith. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Some have made shipwreck concerning the faith. First Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3. First Timothy 4. 1 to 3. In the last days, the Spirit speaks uh, expressly 
that some shall depart from the faith. Then one other scripture here. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. So I want you to note that expression, the faith. Now I want to give you a definition, a def- definition of it. And this is from Amplified New Testament and also Vine's Expository Dictionary and some of the word studies in the Greek New Testament. Uh, He says, The faith here is not faith as exercised by the individual, but Christianity itself in its historic and life-giving salvation. The faith, therefore, listen carefully what I'm saying here, is the whole biblical revelation and doctrines that God gave to his people, and Jude calls it to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Amplified New Testament puts it this way. Beloved, my whole concern was to write to you in regard to our common salvation, but I found it necessary and was impelled to write to you and urgently appeal to you and exhort you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, the faith which is that sum of Christian belief which was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. Now, let me say this, and then I'll explain it, because we've only got a few more minutes here. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 26, maybe. uh, uh, Yeah, Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. And uh, you'll find there's various translations on on this verse, but I want you to pick this, uh, the thought I want to give here. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. And uh, we'll just read verses 1 through to 4. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. So God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open you the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the... And I'm reading from old King James, the marginal here. NIV says, which keepeth faith or faithfulness. Old King James... New King James says, Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truths may enter in. The truths. You will keep him with perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Now, let me uh, try and get across the thought I, w- I want to get here. When Jesus Christ came, in him all fullness of truth was. And then he said, When the Holy Spirit's going to come, the Holy Spirit's going to lead and guide you into all truth. So, Christ is the word of truth, as on your diagram there. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. But in 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, once you put it down, the third one, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, Paul says, the church, please, the church. We know what we mean by the church now. The church is the pillar and ground or support of the truth. The church. So Jesus is the word of truth. He sent the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit led the church, the righteous nation, into the truths and within the faith, which is like a corporate word, within the faith, there are a whole lot of truths that the Lord has given the church. I've spelled out some of them there. The revelation of the Godhead, doctrine of creation, Doctrine of Christ, his person, words, and work. The Holy Spirit, the redemptive work of Christ. First principles of the doctrines of Christ. The Lord's table, communion, priesthood of all believers, holiness of life, divine healing, demon deliverance, fivefold ascension gift ministries, inspiration, infallibility of the scriptures, gospel of the kingdom, signs following, feast of the Lord, Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles, local church government, the body of Christ, the tabernacle of David, the Davidic order of worship, fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, bride of Christ, the victorious and perfect church, apostasy, antichrist, great tribulation, angels ministry, the second coming of Christ, eternal states, heaven and hell. Now, how many of you are sort of getting my thought here that the, when we use the faith, that's sort of a corporate word, but within the faith are all these various truths that the Holy Spirit gave to the early church. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, now I have to finish on this and we'll pick up this exciting episode. If you were the devil, and I'm glad you're not, and I'm not, you look at this thing, this new thing, because Jesus is finished with the Old Testament church, the church of Moses. 
because they are about to crucify him and hang him on a cross. So in chapter 12, they just got together and had a council to crucify him. Now he turns into parabolic teaching, changes his whole approach to them, and then he says, I'm going to build my church. Now, the devil looks at this thing, the church. What is the church? He knows what it means. He knows it's not a building or denomination, anything like that. The church and the power that Christ has given to the church. And now he sees that the Lord Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has led the church into all these truths. Wish I had time to develop that more. All these truths. So the devil says, okay, boys, demons in hell, there's this thing that Christ has created, the church, his body. I want you to attack the church. What do you think the devil would do first? He would start to attack the faith. Once deliver the saints. And he would start to attack truth by truth until what we're going to see next week is how the church lost all the truths and entered into the dark ages, which has become the age of substitution and the counterfeit and what Martin Luther fitly called the church's Babylonian captivity. But God said, everything that the church lost, I'm going to restore. And you are living in the most exciting days, days of restoration. How many can say amen? Let's stand and give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh. Father, we just, we just pray that the Holy Spirit... Father, I've just done the best I can as my imperfect communication, but Holy Spirit, make the church real to, more, more real to us. Help us to reclaim the Word. We've been robbed of the Word, Lord. And the world doesn't even know what the church is or the power of the church. But Lord, here we are called out of our homes, gather together as the church, assemble together to listen to you, God, to act for you, God. And Lord Jesus, you're right in the middle of us. Give us a greater sense of this when we gather together as the church. Bless your word to our hearts. Holy Spirit, just water it. Make us realize that we're part of an eternal purpose of God, the church, the body of Christ. We ask in the name of of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Go and pick up your children. Thank you for being such a wonderful bunch. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.